And we've said there's, the kingdom of God is, is here and now. It isn't something we have to wait on and when we get to heaven. It's something that lives in us. If you're a follower of Jesus, the kingdom is in you. It is with you. It is here and now, present with us. When we gather together and worship, the kingdom of God is here. God is with us. He meets with us. That's his promise. And that's what Jesus came to proclaim. He, he said all the time, he's constantly teaching and preaching in ways to, to share in story form or in parables. Or he'd point at something and use it as an example and say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. I've done a lot of study over the, in prayer about this series over the last several weeks. You realize, I didn't know this until I, I did this study, but in the New Testament alone, from Matthew to Revelation, the kingdom of God is referred to, talked about 119 times. In the Gospels, just in the Gospels, Jesus specifically mentions, talks about, names the kingdom of God. Sometimes in Matthew it's called the kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing. 53 times. Maybe this is more important than we thought it was. I think it's really, really important to God that we understand the reality of the kingdom of God. What do you think? This uh, talk about the kingdom of God has, has caused some of you to begin thinking about heaven. Now, keep in mind, we'll be in heaven someday. That's all part of the kingdom. But we're in the kingdom now. But some of you have been talking about heaven. I, I had somebody ask me a question the other day. Uh, will animals go to heaven? And, and I, I do have an opinion on that, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> I do, however, uh, have a comment on cats. Uh, <laughs> Because if cats go to heaven, notice I emphasized if cats go to heaven, to my shock, I'll be surprised. Um, if they get there, the one thing I'm going to like about it is they're going to find out the universe does not revolve around them. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get to explore heaven someday, and uh, won't that be an amazing thing to be able to live with God and Him with us? But in the meantime, we get to live with God, and he is with us now. And, and he doesn't want us to miss that reality. He doesn't want us to just wait and hope that someday we get to be with him. We get to be with him now. That's the prayer of Jesus, isn't it, when he taught us to pray? May your kingdom come. Your will be done. What's the next line? On earth as it is in heaven. That's why he is, this is so important to him. So let's dive in this morning. I have a lot of territory to cover, so strap in. We're going to go fast. Uh, I want to cover this, and, and I, I hope you'll take it all in. Um, we started the series with Matthew 16. This is where Jesus begins to talk about the keys of the kingdom, and that's why we get this, the, the title for this series, Keys of the Kingdom of Heaven. In Matthew 16, Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. As we've said, it's the place, one of the places in Israel that was very, very, very worldly. Every, every form of sin and licentious living existed in Caesarea Philippi. The, it was thought to have the, the gates to the underworld there, the gates to Hades. 
a river flowing out of the base of a mountain. It's thought to be the place where the god, the, the Greek and Roman god Pan lived. Very worldly place. And Jesus took his disciples there and juxtaposes the two kingdoms. He says, this is what the kingdom of the world looks like. That's easy to see. But I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, he says in Matthew 16. And he says the gates of hell, he's pointing at Hades there, the, what they thought of, that will not prevail against the, key, the, the power of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to build I'm going to build this truth. I'm going to build my church on you, he said. And then I would encourage you to go on and read the rest of what he says in Matthew chapter 16. He begins to unfold in very specific ways what it looks like to follow him and live in the kingdom on a daily basis in Matthew 16. He talks about his truth, his authority, his power. He he gives Peter a new identity. We all get our identity in Jesus Christ. These are all the keys of the kingdom we're talking about over the next few weeks. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe, do you really believe that God has all authority and power to say or do anything he wants to do? Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is no one or no thing more powerful than God? Do you believe that? Let's see what his word has to say, what God's word has to say about that. This is what David, King David, said about that in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to flip to these passages or they'll be on the screens. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10. Now, here's where David is gathering all of the resources to build the temple. He says, so David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power. We're talking about the key of power. Last week, Pastor Marlone talked about authorities being one of the keys of the kingdom. Authority and power always go together. You can have power, but unless you have authority under God, it'll be some kind of subversive, destructive power. Do you agree with that? So So David's saying, God, yours is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Notice the kingdom kinds of words here. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion. Sometimes that word is also translated power, O Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honors come from you. And you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might. And it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, O God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. That's David proclaiming the power, the dominion, the majesty, the authority of God. Let's skip now to Jude. Go almost to the other end of your Bibles. Jude, the brother of Jesus, writes a very short letter, only one chapter. Jude, now keep in mind, Jude's the brother of Jesus. We've talked about this before. 
you know that Jesus is the Messiah if his brother admits he is the Messiah, right? I mean, think about it for a second. How many of you have a brother? If he told you he was the Messiah, would you believe him? So Jesus is obviously raised from the dead, and now he's proven he is the Messiah. We have two books in the New Testament from brothers of Jesus, James and Jude. This is one of them. This is Jude proclaiming the sovereignty, lordship, authority, and power of God. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling, underline that. Any of you ever have any problems stumbling, stumbling back into the same old sin again, or stumbling along the way? We're going to talk about more about that in just a few minutes, but keep that in mind. Make a note, underline it, mark it in your Bible. This is a promise. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless. Anybody want to do that? Just stand in the presence of God blameless. With great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion. Your translation may say power, same word. And authority before all time and now and forever amen so in other words this has been true since the beginning of time before time began it's true now it'll always be true that god has all authority all power all dominion in revelation john writes as he watches this vision unfold and records it in revelation 5:13 he said every now he's he's seeing this in heaven he's seeing everything that god ever created Every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He's even talking about those who don't serve God. And on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, this, this is a confession that all created things. Remember the Bible says one day every knee will bow and every tongue, even those who don't follow Jesus. This is what John's talking about here. This is what they were saying. This is their confession to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion or power forever and ever. You think God has all authority and all power? Absolutely. Ephesians three twenty, Paul writes, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to, to the power that works within us. Now there's a new twist on things, isn't there? Now it isn't just power that God has, it's power that because of the Holy Spirit living in us, works in us. Do you believe that? This isn't just something we talk about. This is something we can experience. And that's what God wants for us. It's for his power to work in us and through us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And we begin these, this series talking about the, the difference between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. Remember we, I did the bad drawing on the board up here with the two trees the tree of knowledge of good and evil the tree of life remember that we talked about and compared the differences between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of god in your outline you've got a few of those comparisons and contrasts always opposite 
Kingdom of the world, always opposite of the kingdom of God. So, notice in the kingdom of God, there is life. Kingdom of the world, there's death. Kingdom of God, there's light. Kingdom of the world, there's darkness. Kingdom of God, there's truth. Kingdom of the world, lies and deception. Kingdom of God, purity, holiness. Kingdom of the world, unclean, evil, always opposites. But here's the one I want us to focus on today. We could go on with that list for a long time, couldn't we? But here's the one I want us to focus on and think about for a minute today. Kingdom of God is all about love. Now, what's the opposite of love? You might think, well, hate, which might be true. But I think the opposite of love is fear. Because the kingdom of the world is all about fear. What was Adam and Eve concerned about when Satan came and showed up in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He said, God's holding out on you. They were afraid they couldn't trust God. They were afraid God wasn't telling them the truth. They were afraid that they were going to miss out on something. You ever go through life just saying to yourself or sometimes saying to other people, I think I'm missing out on something. You ever feel that way? It's a fear. And Satan uses fear to deceive us, to cause us to stumble all through life to this, to the, to the, Extent that he can. The greatest, think about this, the greatest life-giving power in the universe is love, isn't it? The reason God created us to begin with is to love us and to be loved by us. You probably know this verse. Uh, You've heard John 3, 16 a time or two? I'll say that with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that who would ever believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, another kingdom word. You know, that passage goes on to say in verse 17, God didn't send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He wants us to know that he loves us and he wants to rescue us from the power of sin and separation from him. So the greatest life-giving power in the universe is love. The most destructive power on the earth is fear. It's fear. I could go on and on and on if I had time. Example after example after example in my own life and We could all tell our own story, couldn't we? About how destructive the reality of fear has been. I did a sabbatical a few years ago. I had no idea until I really spent a lot of prolonged time with God. I had no idea how much fear I was dealing with. Every decision that is influenced by fear is going to be a bad decision. Or potentially compromised in some way, isn't it? 
How much of your time, how much of our thinking is consumed with some amount of fear? I'm afraid I'm not going to, I'm afraid, guys, you don't have to raise your hands, but I know right now that for guys, a lot of us, our greatest fear is that we will, you know, say it with me, fail, isn't it? Fear of failure. Because we get this idea that it's up to us to provide. When God is our provider. The Bible tells us perfect love casts out fear. First John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love. Now, this is God speaking here. There's no fear in love. So as we receive God's love, he casts out our fear. He needed to remind me of that this morning. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. So the greatest motivation on earth is love, isn't it? And the most destructive motivation on earth is fear. But I love what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 35. You realize that more than, listen carefully, listen carefully, you realize that more than anything else in Scripture, God commands us to do not fear. Count them up. You can count up all the commands, all the instruction, and compare and contrast every other commandment more than anything else by far. God says, fear not. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Let's read what Romans, what Paul writes to the Romans and to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written? Now, he quotes Psalm 44 here. You may want to write that in the margin of your Bible if you're reading along. He's quoting a line out of Psalm 44 because that psalm is a psalm of confession and it's a psalm of, of, of asking God to rescue them out of the perilous condition they're in, and they're, they're telling God how they feel. God, we feel like we're being put to death all day long. We're, we're like sheep being slaughtered. And Paul writes, but in all these things, no matter how you feel, no matter what circumstances comes, no matter what happens, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. Once again, he's comparing and contrasting the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. Angels in the kingdom of God. Principalities in the kingdom of the world. Because Satan is the prince of this world. Things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you believe that? Isn't it amazing how powerful God's word is when we just stop and meditate on it and take it in and make it our own? Let it take root and grow as truth that does set us free. 
Jesus when he had his disciples. There were actually 12 disciples that he chose to follow him, that they became the apostles. There were many other disciples who followed him on a regular basis. Dozens of people followed Jesus. There was a group of women who traveled with him. The Bible tells us they were, many of them had, had means and some, some ways to support the work of the ministry, and so they helped in those ways. Many of them prayed. Other disciples were constantly with him, listening to his teaching. Sometimes as many as 150 people would be traveling with Jesus, gathering with him. In this case, recorded in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out 72 of them. In other places in the Gospels, it tells us they went out two at a time. So they went out in pairs, and they, he sent them out to all the villages and towns and cities where he was going to go and minister. And he, this is ministry training. He's told them in Luke chapter 4, he's quoted from Isaiah 61. He says, this is what I'm here for. I'm here to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here. I'm going to raise the dead. I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to set the captives free and all those things, which he was doing. And he'd been training all of his disciples along the way. Now it's time for some on-the-job training. So he's going to send them out. And that's what he did. And he said, when you go, he gave them specific instruction. Let's look at chapter uh, Luke 10, verse 8. He says, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, again, Jesus is reminding them The kingdom of God is here and now. Whatever city you enter, if they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Now skip down to verse 17. Their ministry assignment was over, and now they came back to report what had happened. They came back to report all the things that they'd experienced while they were on their little missionary on-the-job training journey. The 72 returned with joy, verse 17, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, now he's talking, in this case, he's talking about something he's seen in the past. This has already happened. He said to them, I was watching Satan fall like heaven from fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. This is spiritual language Jesus is using here. He's talking about when he's talking about serpents and scorpions, there are several places in God's word that, that line up serpents and scorpions with Satan and evil. Where does the serpent first appear? Right in the Garden of Eden, in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's saying you can tread on them. Remember, remember Pastor Marlon's story from last week, those of you who were here? Remember him being afraid initially? He's told me the longer version of that story, how the woman, if you weren't here, he talked about a woman who was demon-possessed, that he, he and, and the family there set free as they invited Jesus in and his authority to come and set her free. The, whole, the, the longer part of that story is she was taunting him from behind 
locked doors with her chains on. She was saying, I want you, I want you to come in here. She said, no, we'll pray from out here. And as they prayed, she was set free. The power and authority of the kingdom overcame. And friends, that still happens today. I could tell you experience after experience that I've had personally praying for people and people being set free from the power of the enemy. When he talks about serpents and scorpions here, he's referring all the way back to the promise that God gave, that that God spoke. He's actually speaking to Satan in Genesis 3.15. He says, he's speaking to Satan here, and this is the judgment as he moves Adam and Eve out of the garden. He says, this is what I, the way I'm going to rescue. He says, I'll put enmity or strife between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, when he's talking about bruise there, it really means crush. It's going to crush your, the head of the, the serpent. And it's going to crush you. He's going to wound. This is a prophetic word about Jesus. He's going to wound Jesus, but Jesus is going to win. That's why none of us, very few of us anyway, like snakes. Right? You have that picture? Um, These are a couple snakes I found just about 10 days ago in my shop. They were both four and a half feet long. So I bruised their heads. That's what happens. I don't like snakes, especially when I walk through the door and there's two of them right there in front of me. Okay, get rid of that picture now. That's all right. Thank you very much. They're dead. John 8. In John 8, Jesus says to his followers, he says he was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you truly are disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? We'll talk about this in a minute. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Free to live in love and not in fear. So let me give you three things that I hope and pray will help us on a daily basis. We talked about Jude writing that, you know, he has the power that when we continue to stumble He has the power to enable us to not stumble, to not go back to that same thing, that same sin, that same thing that keeps dragging you down and you keep falling to every time. It's possible to live in the power of the kingdom and to experience God's power in your life on a daily basis. But first we need to understand three things. One, It's possible for believers to not be free from the power of sin. It's possible for believers, it's possible for people who know Jesus,
to not be free from the power of sin. Sometimes the word, the Bible calls that bondage. We're slaves still to the power that sin and temptation has over us. And we keep going back to the same thing over and over again, even though we're followers of Jesus. So that's possible. We need to understand that that's possible. The definition of the the power of sin or the power of bondage is any impulsive or compulsive behavior that restricts you from living in and enjoying the freedom that Jesus died to give you. Don't we all want that freedom? Don't we all want that? Jesus died. He didn't just die to give us forgiveness of sin. He died to free us from the power that led you into sin to begin with. And that power wants to continue leading you back to that same old sin. Paul writes in Romans about this. In Romans chapter 6, verse 15, he says, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? May it never be. He says, Don't you know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either to sin, resulting in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness. I don't know if this is in your notes, but if it's not, write it down. Whatever you yield to, you are in bondage to. Is that in your notes? Whatever you yield to, you are in bondage to. That's why we talk around here all the time about yielding to the leadership and power of the Holy Spirit. Because we want to be led by the Holy Spirit, not the enemy of God. We don't want to be led back into sin. So it's possible for us to not be free from the power that sin has over us or from that sin that keeps dragging us back into the ditch. Secondly, it's difficult to admit that you're in bondage, isn't it? It's difficult for us to admit that. John 8, 33. Notice what Jesus, this conversation Jesus is having with these followers of his. In John 8, he says, They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, I don't know if you've read your Bibles, but the people of Israel had almost never been free. Think about it. The Israelites were found in the, in the desert of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. God had Moses lead them out to the promised land. And after that, they were in bondage to the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the Assyrians. And when they say this to Jesus, they are in bondage to the Romans. They don't even realize they're in bondage. What do you mean we've never been, we've never been, you've always been slaves. Why is this so important? It's because, friends, I see people every day who are living under the power of the bondage of sin and separation from God. And it always leads to some kind of death. Just like God said it would. It always leads to some sort of, it leads to death of a marriage. It leads to death of finances. It leads to death of relationship or families. 
Sometimes it leads to some sort of physical death. It always leads to some kind of death. And it's hard to admit we're there. I have a friend right now who keeps going back to a gambling habit. And I keep praying for him. And, and it isn't just affecting him. It's affecting his marriage and his family, his kids, his business. And he's in bondage. He's enslaved to that addiction. And it's gonna kill him if he doesn't get set free. But you know what? He doesn't want to admit he has a problem. It's hard to admit when you're in bondage, isn't it? That's why Jesus says, you shall know the truth. Jesus isn't talking about meeting the truth. He isn't talking about just an intellectual understanding of truth. He's talking about knowing, relationally knowing Jesus. Jesus is the truth. When we receive relationship with Jesus in our whole being, listen carefully, write this down. We need to receive Jesus in our whole being, in our body, in our soul, and in our spirit. Our soul is our mind and our will and our emotions. It all needs Jesus to be free. We're uh, training a group of people right now in a ministry called Freedom Ministry, and I'm really excited about that because I I believe God's going to use this ministry and the people who are being trained to enable us to minister to one another in ways that will help all of us be free. So number three. Number one, we can be in bondage. Number two, it's hard to admit. Nobody wants to admit that. But number three... It's easy to be be set free. It's easy. Why? Because it doesn't depend on you. Can I say that one more time? This is good news, by the way. Somebody ought to say amen. It is easy to be set free because it doesn't depend on you. It depends on the power of Jesus. Remember what we're talking about? Now we've come full circle. We're talking about the kingdom of God and his authority. He has all authority and all power. And his authority and his power can set you free that easy, that quickly. Isn't that good news? I think it's great news. It makes me want to shout. Jesus is not impressed or intimidated by Satan. He crushed him. Remember the picture? That's what he did to Satan. Here, here's what God's word has to say about it. In 1 John verse, chapter 3, verse 8, one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil is sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. Let's say it together. To destroy the works of the devil. That's what he does. It's easy for him. In Mark chapter 9, Let me just tell you this story. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus again was teaching his disciples how to set people free. And they'd been trying to do that. 
And they had this one young boy who was possessed by demons, and they couldn't set him free. And his father brought him to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, if, pay attention here, if you have the power to set him free, Jesus goes, if? What do you mean if? Read it. It's Mark chapter 9. He says, I love this. He goes, bring him to me. Just love that. Just bring him to Jesus. And they brought the boy to him. And the, the minute they took the boy to Jesus, he immediately began to, this demon in him began to convulse. And he had this huge convulsion right in front of Jesus. And I can just sort of imagine Jesus, you know, in the fall of the year, standing there eating an apple. He looked at his dad, he goes, how long has he been like that? Read it. So he says, oh, it doesn't say he's eating an apple. That's just, what, that's just my imagination. But he does look at the father and says, how long has he been that way? He said, since he was very young, he's thrown him in the fire. He's thrown him in this demon. He's thrown him in the fire. He's thrown him in water. He's tried to kill him. <clears throat> and it's almost like Jesus just, you know, stops chewing for a minute. He goes, I want you to come out of him and never come back. Just like that. He set him free. He set him free. Now, friends, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what the, the sin is that you need to be set free from. But we're talking about the authority and the power of God. Remember early on in the message, we all agreed that God is the most powerful person in the universe. And that he has all authority and all power. And you, we all said we believe that. Didn't we? Are you with me? We all said we believe that. And now we've looked at lots of examples. We could keep going for hours. This, is, this was like a three-hour message in 35 minutes. At the exam- There's another example where Jesus takes his disciples and they go across the lake to the area of the Gerasenes. And immediately they're confronted by this guy who's running around. Now picture this for a second. He's running around naked. <clears throat> and he's, they've tried to chain him up. They've tried to contain him. He breaks the chains because he's so filled with demons. He's so, he needs to be set free so bad. I bring this up because sometimes we think, well, you don't, pastor, you don't understand what I'm going through. I bring this up because this guy is running around. He lives in, tomb, in, in tombs in cemeteries and he runs around naked. I'm just noticing that we're all fully clothed. So I'm thinking none of us have the problems that he had. You agree with that? And you know what this guy does? He runs up to Jesus and he falls at his feet and he begins to worship him. And Jesus set him free. was easy for Jesus to do that. So this stuff that keeps us stumbling on a day-to-day basis, I'm just proclaiming the truth, friends. 
it's easy for God to set us free. As long as we yield to Him. As long as we ask and receive what He has for us. And it's a daily thing for me. I, I told you, I already confessed earlier. It was four in the morning for me this morning. I don't even know what was going on other than all of a sudden I was filled full of fear and I needed God's help. So, God came. And He set me free. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, as we bow before you right now in this holy moment our prayer God our prayer is that you'd set us free that your power your authority that's above all other power and all other authority would set us free from the power of sin the sin that keeps us stumbling sometimes on a daily basis. It's our prayer, God, that we would receive your power, your love, your truth, your presence, and that you'd set us free. We may not be running around dealing with demons, but God, we've all got something that we're wrestling with. We need you. We need you to set us free, God. So each one of us right now, we're praying, Father. God, come and set me free. I need your power. I need your authority in the name of Jesus to set me free from the power that sin has had over my life so that I won't keep running back to it, so that I won't keep being defeated by it, so that it won't be continue to bring the death into my life it's been bringing. Now, with your eyes still closed and your head bowed, if you prayed that prayer, if, you, if you're praying that God will set you free, just confess that right now and raise your hand. Say, that's me, God, I'm praying that prayer. Amen, praise God, praise God. So God, in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing one more worship song. And I pray that those who need to come for prayer, who need help, praying for anything at all, for anyone at all, that you draw them to you and to an opportunity to experience freedom and the power of God at work in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship. Sing one more song. If God's speaking to you this morning and you need to come and pray, there'll be someone here to pray with you. If you'd like to just pray on your own, that's fine too. But come and pray for anything at all that you need prayer for. Let's worship.